you want to go ahead and open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 18. That's where we'll be in just a few minutes, Matthew chapter 18. We're in the fifth of our series that is called Twisted, where we're looking at uh, some of the most misused verses in the Bible. Now then, next Sunday, we're going to, to take a break, and then we'll wrap the series up in two Sundays from now, on November the 8th. But next Sunday is our fall festival, and that's always a great day as we talked about as we talk about uh, what it means to be unmasked before Jesus and uh, be open about things that we deal with. And so I encourage you to be here. I encourage you to bring somebody to be with you next Sunday. Do that every Sunday, but especially for fall festival, it's a great day to do that. Uh, maybe if you've got somebody you've been thinking about inviting to church, that'd be a great day to bring them. Uh, so that's a good time to do that. And then on November the 8th, we are, uh, we are planning anyway to wrap this series on Twisted Scriptures up at that, uh, at that point. Well, as I said, we've been, uh, we've been uh, talking for, uh, for four weeks prior to today about some of the most misused verses in the Bible. And the more you start to look at these things, the more you realize, man, you know, we do this. We do this a lot. And I don't think we intentionally do it, okay? I know I've pulled verses out of context in my life, okay? I've done it a lot. I've never intended to pull a verse out of context, but sometimes it just sort of happens because maybe, and maybe that's an indicator that we're not spending enough time in God's Word. Does that make sense? Because that, that's at least how, how I think of it. You know, Psalm 105 Verse 15 says, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. That verse right there has sometimes been used by church leaders to exert authority. You know, their prophetic ministry is under the protection of God. Don't challenge them. Don't question them on decisions that they make. You know, don't, don't harm them. Now, you know, I could do that as a, as a minister. I could take this approach, and I could stand up here, and I'd say, Cornerstone, I, I am God's anointed one. Do not harm me. My boys clearly ignore that directive. <laughs> they clearly ignore that directive. And if I did that, you'd say, wait a minute, he's crazy. Okay? And you know what? You would be right. Because that verse isn't talking necessarily about that. That's an abuse of Scripture for a, a modern day church leader to say, don't question my authority. Don't challenge me. Don't take me to task on, on something that I've said. That's an abuse of Scripture. That's not a misuse. That's not a twist. That's an abuse of, of Scripture and God's Word. Because when you look at that whole psalm, you realize that it is talking about the protection that God gave to the, to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, from protection from the kings and the authorities that were trying to, to do things to them. Remember when uh, Abraham went and the Pharaoh took Sarah, and uh, you know some harm came to him because God was with Abraham. Okay, that's what that's talking about. So that's why we say it is so important that when we... Use Scripture that we're looking at the entire context. We're looking at what's before, what's after, who wrote it, why they wrote it, 
Who were they writing to? And what was it that they were trying to, to say? So let's look at, uh, let's review as we've done uh, over the last four weeks. What we've said from the beginning is the Bible was not written to us, but it is written for us. And man, there are some good, good things in God's Word, yes or no? So encouraging. You know, uh, Jesus asked the disciples, you know, who are you going to go to? And they said, yeah, who, who can we go to? You have the words of eternal life. Okay, and we read those words of eternal life in, in God's Word. Uh, right off the bat, the first point, and this, is the, this one is by far, this is the most important point, and all the other ones that we've had, I think they flow out of it. And so we've done this out loud every week. Say this one with me really loud. Context is key. One more time. Context is key. That one is so very important. Let me ask you, as we've been moving through this and we've been talking about context and all of these different things, has this, has this helped you in your understanding of, of reading Scripture? If you Just give me an amen or an oh yeah or an air high five or something to say, well, good, and, and I'm glad because that's the, the purpose of this. We want to make sure that we're understanding God's Word as best we can. Also, let me say this, and I'm not, I've not said this yet, but often people will say that, you know, the Bible, it's, it's so simple to read. Those people have not read the Bible, I don't think. I don't think they've read it because it's not simple to read. It's not written to us in 2015. You know, it didn't just come out. It's difficult. Okay, there's hard things in it. There's challenging things in it. It's written by several people over several centuries to people that are dead and gone a long time ago. And what we do is we take the Bible now and we have to interpret what they were saying, what those writers said, what they meant. And that's why we do these things. That's why we look at the background. That's why we look at the authors and, and where they wrote and why they wrote and who they wrote to. That helps us with our interpretation. That is what keeps us from taking those passages like Psalm 105.15. That's what keeps us from pulling things out of context and, and twisting or misusing or abusing Scripture. Uh, the second point that we had in week number two was misquoting Scripture contradicts the message. Yes or no? If you quote it wrong, guess what? The message is going to be wrong too. That one just that one makes sense, you know? Scripture says one thing, and you say a different thing. Guess what? You've not said what Scripture said. Anybody done that? I've done that. I've done that. I probably just did it a few minutes ago. I'll probably do it again. Okay? But we have to make sure, too, that when we're quoting, we're getting it right, or at least say, hey, look, this is just a paraphrase. I'm trying. This is what I think the Bible says. Point number three during this series was pulling Scripture out of context can cause us to miss the true message cause us to miss the true message, okay? And as we looked at, there is so much power and so much truth in Scripture, right? But sometimes if we isolate a verse, while it still is a good verse and while it's still encouraging, there's more goodness, there's more power, there's more strength and encouragement to be had by reading it as a, as a unit, as a, as a section. And then last week, our point was this one. Misusing Scripture allows us to justify sinful behavior, yes or no? And we talked about that on Do Not Judge Me. You know, that Psalm uh, 105.15, you know, that could be a, a perfect example of this. 
Okay? If I were to say this, if I were to stand up or, or, or Tommy and Jeffrey were to stand up and we were to say, look, we are the leaders of this church. We are above reproach. We are above rebuke. What we say goes, don't ask us. Don't challenge us. How long would you be here? Not very long. And it would be me and Tommy and Jeffrey just fighting it out. And it would be me and Tommy versus Jeffrey, I'm pretty sure. And realistically, it'd be Tommy versus Jeffrey because I wouldn't be here to do that. Okay? So, you know, it just, it, it would not, that's not a good idea. Okay? It just, that's what pulling Scripture out of its context can do. And so that was our point last week. And here is point number five for today. Taking Scripture out of its context can lead to misinterpretation. Make sense? Pulling it out of context, you miss, you miss the interpretation. And then I've got one more point, but I'll give it to you in two weeks, so you've got to come back. Uh, if you want, the, you want the sixth and probably final point of this series, come back in two weeks, but I already got it, and it's a good one. So, uh, so come back for that. But today, today from Matthew 18, we're going to be uh, looking at a verse that is, is not just misused in one way, it's misused in a whole lot of ways. And here it is right here. Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Now, wouldn't we agree that, that coming together to pray is a good thing? Yeah, coming together to pray is a good thing. And there is, there is something holy about uniting our hearts and our minds together in prayer and in, in, in supplication. You know, the more we ask for prayer, the more we have praying, I, I think the better it is. I mean, that's, that's the reason why uh, at the end of service we offer a time for people to come forward with prayer requests. Why do we do that? Because we want people to join their prayers to ours, right? We want people to, to join in that and, and help call out to God and lift us up before God together. That is a, a very, very, very good thing. But how many times in, in worship or, or in a Bible class or in a, a, a prayer group have you heard someone say, Lord, we know that you are with us and you'll answer our prayers because you said where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in their midst. Have you ever... You ever heard somebody do that or have you ever done that yourself because I, I, I know I've I've prayed that way or have you uh, heard that you know Lord we we know that you'll heal our brother uh, Sam because he's got some issues um, because you said you know whatever whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven and if two of you on earth agree about anything you know ask and it shall be done you know I, you know we've You've heard people pray that way before. We've prayed that way before. But guess what? Guess what? We do it every week. That's taken straight out of context. It's pulled out of its original context. And that's not at all really what, what Jesus was, was trying to get us to do and to, to think about. Now then, there is nothing wrong. As we've just said, there's nothing wrong with having as many people possible pray for something. But using these verses this way, it sort of seems to suggest that if we just form up in small groups and two or more, it'll somehow amplify our prayers more, our experience to God 
more. You know, this, this verse is often also used as a, a rallying cry to, to bring people together for, for prayer or worship. And, and, and our good friend Inigo, he steps back in, he says, you keep uh, referencing uh, Matthew 18, 20 when you pray. I, I do not think that passage means what you think it means. You know, uh, now, maybe this, this, this series hasn't been helpful to you unless in, in your reading context. Have any of you at least gone back and watched uh, uh, Princess Bride or Willy Wonka since then? Have we at least done that? Okay, one person. That's good. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's as if if we just get two or three people together who agree on something, then, then God should have to do it. You know, like he's some sort of genie in a bottle. Okay, but here's the thing. God is not a genie in a bottle. Right? God's not a genie in a bottle. He, he can't be contained. He's too big. He's too wonderful. He's too massive. I can't even find the right adjectives. Because that's how big and glorious and holy God is. You cannot put Him in a bottle. And God certainly cannot be manipulated. I think sometimes we, we, we think he can, and well, we, we need something, so let's take God out of his bottle. and We'll get three people who agree on this, and God will, 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 will have to do it as if he could be manipulated by this. You know, looking at, at this verse this way or approaching prayer that way, you know, it, it doesn't even give consideration to the fact that, that Satan and evil are in the world. And that they are actively trying to keep actively accomplishing, in many cases, God's will from being done. Yes or no? You know, you read just quickly, you read through Daniel chapter 10. We won't have time to do that today, but do that maybe this week. A quick read of Daniel chapter 10, and you realize very clearly that God's will is sometimes thwarted by evil forces. Okay, That's why Jesus, when He taught us to pray, pray things on earth as they are in heaven. Why is that? Because it must mean that things on earth are not as they should be. They're not always going according to God's will. They're not always being accomplished. And so Jesus is saying, listen, when you pray, when you pray to our, our Father whose name is so holy, you pray and you ask Him for the kingdom to come here. Because if there was ever a place the kingdom needed to come and break in, it is here among my people. And it's not breaking in the way it should. And so we've got to pray this way. Other, other abuses of, of this verse have sometimes been used to, to give various groups the, the perceived authority to, to not, not just forgive sin, but to decline forgiveness of sin. Others have, have used it to claim that God will give them every blessing and, and material possession just by asking for it in a group. The power of God, though, cannot be manipulated by the will of mankind. We're not able to, to, to obligate God to do anything for us. As a matter of fact, God realistically doesn't ever have to do anything for us. He's done more for us already than any one person or large group could ever do for us. In the fact that He, that he sent His Son 
He sent his son to die for us. Final uh, misuse of, of this verse gives some people the, uh, I, I guess, the, the, the permission that they need to, uh, to miss gathering in, in public worship, corporate worship. Hey, let's, uh, let's, let's go to the lake. Can't, man, we got church. Oh, it'll be fine. Me and you go, hey, where two or three are gathered in my name. Hey, Jesus is there. He said it. We'll do that. You ever heard it used that way before? This one, that's my mentor's pet peeve, is this one right here. Okay, and as I was talking to him uh, last week about this series, he says, are you going to do Matthew 18, 20? Because, you know, that's my, that's my biggest one, that people take that one and they use it as a reason why they can, they can uh, miss church. Now, then that's not to say that you can't ever miss uh, church, okay? It's not to, to say that, uh, and it's certainly not to say that we can't worship you know, outside of this building. And it's not to say that we can't worship in a, in a small group or, or even by yourself, because you certainly can do that. But it's using that verse to justify not being here. That's the misuse of this verse. In fact, misusing this verse can even lead some people to believe that their prayer or their worship is not as holy or not as acceptable to God because they're not gathered in a group of two or three. Do you see that? You know, what about the person who works alone, who works out in a field, and they're, they're, they're out there riding a, a, a tractor all day? Are their prayers less heard than our prayers in here? Or the person that's the, uh, uh, the, the long-haul trucker who maybe can't attend a worship somewhere, are their prayers less important to God than ours? No, absolutely not. So we have to make sure that we're, we're using this verse this, this passage, the way that, that God meant to, the way that Jesus meant it when he said it, when Matthew wrote it down. You see, praying in concert, as we've said, you know, as a group, praying in concert is a, is a beautiful thing. As a matter of fact, it's how the, the church was born. The church was birthed out of a 10-day-long prayer meeting. Acts chapter 1, 14 it says that they were continually, and that's talking about Peter and the apostles, and it says the women, they were gathered together and they were continually united in prayer. It was that kind of prayer that sustained the early life of the church. Acts 4, 23, uh, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and, uh, uh, Peter and John had been arrested. They had been preaching uh, in the name of Jesus. The authorities didn't like it. They arrested him. They had him beaten. They commanded them not to, to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. And they went back to the, the church, the community, the gathering there. They told them what had happened. They rejoiced that they had been counted worthy enough to suffer shame for the, for the name of, of Jesus Christ. And it says that they raised their voices to God unanimously. You know what they asked for? More boldness. More boldness to speak out. More boldness to proclaim the, the name of, of Jesus. In Acts 12, 5, uh, after James had been martyred, Peter again is, is in prison. Uh, Acts 12, verse 5 says that prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. And so we see the importance of, of praying together 
But in the context of this scripture, that's, this kind of thing is not exactly what Jesus had in mind when he said, I assure you, if two of you agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am among them. So the question is, what did he mean? What is, what is the context that Jesus was speaking into? What was it that, that caused him to make those statements? Well, when we look at Matthew 18 and we take that verse, verse 20, and we set it back down where it belongs, we'll see a, a, a different picture. All of, uh, of chapter 18, I think it really ties well together. Um, beginning of the chapter, his disciples are, are, are talking. They ask him a question, you know, who is the, the greatest kingdom of heaven? Okay, who's the greatest? Everybody wants to know who the greatest is, right? Because secretly we're hoping it's us, right? You know what I'm talking about? Who's the, who's the greatest? You know, really what we're saying is, I'm the greatest. Aren't I? Don't you think I'm the greatest? I mean, that's really, that's really what we're asking when we ask that question. Who's the greatest? Probably for most people. Okay, but they're coming together and they say, who is the, the greatest? And Jesus brings a child up to him. And he says, you've got to become like this if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Have that, that, that childlike faith, that, that trust in me. And then he says, don't cause these little ones to fall. Don't cause them to turn away by the way that, that you're living and the things that you're putting on people. Don't cause them to turn away. In fact, he says that right there in verse 10. See that you don't look down on one of these little ones because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. And then he goes on and he tells a parable of the lost sheep about someone who has gone away. And he talks about the shepherd that goes after them to return them, to, to restore them and bring them back. And then that leads into the text that we're going to be looking at in just a moment. And, and uh, a lot of the, the writers, the scholarly people, they think that, that, that Peter's statement or Peter's question in verse 21, it comes right out of the text that we're fixing to look at when Jesus, or when Peter says, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and, and I forgive him as many as, as seven times. And then Jesus goes on and he tells the, the parable of the, the unforgiving servant. And so I think what we can see is that as we look at this, this chapter as a whole, we see that it has a theme of having childlike faith, trusting in God, but it also carries with it, and we'll, we'll see this in just a minute, it carries with it the theme of, of restoration and, and reconciliation. So let's begin reading in, in verse 15. And let's see what Jesus says and let's look at these verses in their context and so we can better, so we can better understand what Jesus was talking about when he said this. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two more with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. Now that comes straight out of Deuteronomy right there. Deuteronomy 19. If he pays no attention to them, tell the church. 
But if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. I assure you that whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Again, I assure you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. I am there among them. And so we realize when we look at this passage that it's ultimately, it, it, it's talking about church discipline. Okay, it's talking about church discipline. It's talking about rec, uh, reconciliation. It's talking about the reconciliation of people who have sinned against us personally. Okay, not only that, Jesus gives us three very clear steps how to go about resolving it, doesn't he? Did you see it right there? And did you notice that the, the statements were conditional? If this, they do that, great. If not, do this, if not, move on and do this. He sort of gives us these, these conditional statements, these conditional levels of how to go about restoring somebody and, and, and dealing with, with somebody. And the first one, uh, the first one is number one, right off the bat, go to the person in public and announce it to everybody. No? No! No, no, you're right. I'm, yes, you're right. It's not that way. Go to the person privately. Man, we blow it on that one. Can I get an amen? And when I say we, I don't mean just we. I mean we. Boy, we miss it on this one. Because a lot of times what we do, we start talking about it. We start talking about it. We start drumming up support. And we start getting our allies and all this. And, uh, how many times could things be solved if we would just go to the person who offends us? Realistically, that would be much easier. But a lot of times, we don't do that. As a matter of fact, in the day of, in this day and age where everybody has social media, or most everybody, everybody's an author, how many times now do you go on Facebook and you see where somebody is blasting somebody for something that's happened to them. You know what I'm talking about? All the time. You know, they've been wronged in some way, so they just air their dirty laundry for everybody to see, like everybody needs to know about it. I don't want to read that stuff. Do you? I don't want to read that stuff. You know, and, you know, and I've talked about this before. I've got very specific guidelines that I have for myself in using social media, and that's one of them. Don't air dirty laundry for the world to read. Okay? This is what Jesus is saying. If you have a problem with somebody, the first thing you need to do is go to that person alone. Say, hey, look, this is, you said this, you did this, I've seen this. I'm upset by it. It's hurt my feelings. Uh, you know, you're hurting yourself. You've hurt your family. Whatever it is, and, and and talk about it. But he says, if you know, if they listen, you've won that person over. You know, you're the shepherd who left the 99 and went and got the sheep and brought them back. That's what that's talking about. 
See the connection? But if they don't listen, then take two or three people with you. And you've got to be careful about your two or three people. They don't just need to be your people that are going to be your, your yes people. You know what I'm saying? That are just automatically going to be in your corner. You need people, and I need people, that are going to ask us the hard questions. They're going to make sure that we don't have an axe to grind, and we're just looking to go after somebody. Okay, Make sure we don't have an agenda. And they're going to ask us the hard questions, and they're going to make us or force us to look in and, and, and question our own hearts and our own motives. Okay, And when you find those people like that, then you go with them and you sit down with this person and you say, look, this, this is what this is. This has got to change. This has got to stop. This is detrimental to your life. But if they don't listen, if they don't repent, if there's no reconciliation at that point, it moves on to the, to the final step. And man, this one, I mean, it's tough. He says, if they still refuse, you, you take it to the church. And if they continue in that sin, then you have to disassociate from them. Two or three people have agreed on this matter. It's not just one person saying, hey, you're out of here. But you've, you've prayed about it. You've gone to them humbly in prayer. That didn't work. They refused to listen. You've taken a, a, a wise counsel with you humbly in prayer, and they refused to listen bring that before the body and they still refuse to listen Jesus saying you've got to you've got to cut off from that and that's that's not an easy thing to hear it's not one person making the decision it's two or three or more gathered in the name of Jesus and this is the God ordained process and, and sometimes, you know, this, this has to be done to keep somebody from destroying the church. Because I've, I've seen places where a, a person or a group of people had too much authority and too much power, too much control, one of the church and they yielded that to their own agenda to the detriment of the church to where it caused people to leave it caused it to shrink down till they had it you know just as they wanted it and that's what Jesus is saying if you agree that this has got to be done you know I'm involved in I'm involved in this this process now, it's not an easy thing, and I, 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 I pray to God that's a process we never have to go through here. Join with me in an amen on that. I pray to God we never have to do that. I, I, I don't believe that we will because I know your hearts. Okay, I believe I know the hearts of this people. But at the same time, we have to be honest. When we cannot discount Satan, and we cannot discount one. You know, you may have to do that to me one day. Okay, I mean, let's just be, let's just be, I mean, totally honest. Anybody is capable of finding themselves in that position. 
You know what I'm talking about? And so while this is a difficult text and a hard text, we can't just ignore it because it's hard and difficult. We don't want to read it. Because ultimately, it's about trying to reconcile someone to get them to turn back to the way that that God wants them to be. But it's also about taking care of the church. That's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's it. And so we see that there's a whole lot more bite to that verse, isn't there? There's a whole lot more to it. And just, hey, man, I need something. Two or three of us, we're gathered here. God's got to give it to me. There's a whole lot more to what's going on there and what Jesus is talking about. We need to be reconciled to one another. Now then, here's the thing, too. Here's the thing. Let me say this. These words, these words are addressed to Christians. Only. Brothers and sisters. Okay? This is not non-Christian versus non-Christian. This is certainly not Christian versus non-Christian. This is Christian to Christian. This is me and you. This is brother and sister. This is member to member. That's what it is. This is, you know, it's not a license you know, it's not, Jesus isn't giving us a license to, to start some uh, destructive uh, gossip campaign. It's not a license to launch a, you know, a full frontal attack on anybody who offends us. When you do this kind of work, you, you have to approach it with humility. You have to bathe it in prayer because this is, I mean, it's, this is some, some tough stuff that we're, we're dealing with. Paul wrestled with this this issue with the Corinthian church. But ultimately, it's about reconciliation. God wants all people reconciled to Him. That's why He sent, that's why He he sent His Son. So this this leads us back to our, our, our point for the morning. Taking Scripture out of context can lead to a serious misinterpretation of a text. You know, we see that. I think we've, we've, we've seen that. And, and this one, again, I think it applies to, to all of these that, that we've looked at. And that It is important to read Scripture in context so that we know what's being said. We know to whom it is being said. And we know how to, to process what already has been said and apply it in our lives. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus came so that we can be reconciled back to God because our sin separated us. You know, it's our, our sin that, that causes us to find ourselves in situations like we read about in Matthew 18. It's our sin that causes people like the little ones Jesus is talking about to, uh, to go astray. It's our sin that causes us to, to gossip and to talk badly about people and to not handle these things in the, in the right way. We all need to be reconciled. 
Jesus. Jesus is the way to reconciliation. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's the way to reconciliation. And so maybe, maybe you, you've done one of these things. Maybe it's something as simply as, you know, you've just taken the Scripture out of context and you want to stop doing that. You want to do it the right way. You want to read Scripture the way it was meant to be, to be read. But maybe, maybe you have found yourself in a position where you've been offended and instead of going to somebody and, and dealing with it the right way, you know, you've talked about it openly to others. And if that's the case, reconciliation is available. It's there. Come to Jesus, ask for forgiveness. You also need to go and have a, a, a one-on-one conversation with that person and, and, and kind of hit the restart button and go back to the beginning. Okay? And, and then you probably need to ask for some forgiveness. Okay? I've been in that position before too where I've had to go and ask for forgiveness from people. It's all a part, uh, about being humble and having humility and praying and trusting God to lead us through this. But if you've done this, change. Maybe you need to be reconciled to Jesus for the first time. You need your life cleansed. You need a new start. You confess that Jesus is your Lord. And you're baptized into His name. You're brought into the, the kingdom of God. You're given new life. That reconciliation and that life is available to anyone at any time. If you're hurting, if you've got a burden, if you need something prayed for as a group, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to talk more if you've got questions. We'd love to baptize you into Jesus. If we can help you, In any way, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?